0: back, and I think we have to talk at some length here about September 11th. It was five years ago this week that America came under attack by 19 suicide hijackers affiliated with Al-Qaeda. If you follow the news each week, you probably note that uh, the blockbuster stories usually come out late on Friday, so they'll get lost in the shuffle of the weekend. So if you were paying attention to these sorts of things, and hopefully you were, you noted that on Friday of last week, the Senate released its Iraq intelligence report. Quoting from Greg Miller of the Los Angeles Times, the Senate Intelligence Committee on Friday said it found no evidence that Saddam Hussein had ties to al-Qaeda or provided safe harbor to one of its most notorious operatives. Abu Musab Zarqawi, conclusions contradicting claims about the Bush administration before it invaded Iraq. Mother Jones magazine pointed out that on September 21, 2001, five years ago, President Bush was informed in a highly classified briefing that the U.S. intelligence community could not link Saddam Hussein to the 9 11 attacks, and there was little evidence pointing to collaborative ties between Iraq and Al Qaeda. Nevertheless, as late as September 25th, 2005, actually later than that. But on that date, Bush told journalists, you can't distinguish between Al-Qaeda and Saddam when you talk about the war on terror. Well, sometime between September 25th of last year and uh, probably about the time the Senate report came out last Friday, Bush changed his tune. To quote from The Guardian Unlimited in a report filed Tuesday, George Bush admitted last night that Saddam Hussein had no hand in the 9-11 terror attacks, but he asked Americans to support a war in Iraq that he said was the defining struggle of our age. Here's the part I like best about the Guardian report. Six paragraphs down from the admission that Saddam Hussein had no hand in the Al-Qaeda 9-11 terror attacks, we have the following. The president brushed aside any idea of an early exit from Iraq saying a withdrawal of U.S. forces would hand a victory to al-Qaeda. Yes, that's right. In paragraph one of this article, George Bush admits al-Qaeda, Saddam Hussein, no link. Paragraph seven, well, if we withdraw from Iraq, that would hand a victory to al-Qaeda. David Stout, writing in the New York Times, said, The report sure to intensify the debates over terrorism and the Iraq War before the November elections, contained dozens of pages of findings about the former Baghdad dictator and the terrorists who plotted and carried out the September 11th attacks, and finds that they had little in common. Saddam Hussein himself told interrogators, after his capture in December 2003, that his government had not cooperated with Mr. Bin Laden, he specified that if he wanted to cooperate with the enemies of the U.S., he would have allied with North Korea or China. We at Radio Parallax do find Saddam Hussein's sighting of China as very interesting. Americans are not currently thinking of uh, of the country that supplies all the goods in Walmart as uh, as a, a potential enemy, but uh, Saddam Hussein does. To the topic of China, is something we'll have to return to on another day. I want to continue to look at uh, 9-11. Particularly in view of the kind of coverage, very curious coverage, the event got in the Sunday papers, especially compared to the Iraq War. Case in point. Can you think of anything in the Sunday paper that's more mainstream than the parade section? This, of course, is a a magazine which appears in newspapers all over the country. They make up a section. They have things like Marilyn Vos Savant, various... uh, feature articles, the uh, personality parade, blah, blah, blah. But, uh, you know, they occasionally have some good articles, and we certainly like to quote from Marilyn on a regular basis. But what really struck me was in the parade section of Sunday's paper, article by Wilton Sexer, as told to Eugene Jarecki, it was titled, At First I Wanted Revenge. A former New York City cop tries to do the right thing by the son he lost on 9-11. Now, Eugene Jarecki, was the director of Why We Fight. And we interviewed Mr. Jarecki about that excellent uh, documentary uh, on this program last year. And he told you about the story of Mr. Wilton Sexer and how he originally wanted uh, to have his name put on a bomb to be dropped on Iraq, but realized the folly of his action. Well, let me tell it in his words. He said in the article how proud he was to see uh, his, his son's name get put on a bomb. The, the Pentagon did him that, that special favor, and he thought, well, good. But he said, quote, months later, I was watching TV, when President Bush came on and said he didn't know why people connected Iraq to 9-11. He said, we've had no evidence that Saddam Hussein was involved with the September 11th attacks. I said, what did he just say? I mean, I almost jumped out of my chair. I said, what is he talking about? What the hell did we go there for? If Saddam didn't have anything to do with 9-11, then why did we go there? We would refer you to Mr. Setsker's article, which I'm sure you can find online. We'd also suggest in the highest possible terms that you check out Eugene Jarecki's documentary, Why We Fight, an excellent, excellent cinematic effort. Of course, it appears a lot of people are asking what we're doing in Iraq and the war is becoming extremely unpopular as the death toll now approaches 2,600, which is almost the number that were killed five years ago in the September 11th attacks. You may have noticed Christiane Amanapour's report on Osama bin Laden this week. She interviewed one of our guests, Gary Bernson, about the fact that they had Osama at Tora Bora, but he got away. It's worth noting again that the administration, particularly the president and General Tommy Franks, said on a couple of occasions they weren't even sure that Osama was at Tora Bora. Well, Gary Bernson was sure, and so was everyone else they interviewed on that subject for the Amanapur report on bin Laden. Bin Laden got away into the, uh, apparently, the border areas of Pakistan, where, as we reported on last week's program, uh, the spokesman for the government there said, well, if he just obeys himself, we're not going to go and arrest him. U.S. troops, we should note, are forbidden by the Pakistani government from entering the nation to search for bin Laden. And the war in Afghanistan is not going very well. The Taliban is back, and a lot of people think that uh, that endless civil war is going to ratchet up, and not in a good way, for stability for Afghanistan. Of course, we can't secure things in Afghanistan because we've moved our main theater of operations west into Iraq, where we're now continuing to spend something like $2 billion a week. Article last Sunday's a Sacramento Bee, page one Do you feel safer today? Subheadline Billions spent on security, but nations still vulnerable. It's a good question to ask, especially in light of an August 3rd article we've been hanging on to from the Sacramento Bee that noted that Bay Area Rapid Transit, considered the top terrorist target in the Bay Area, receives only a fraction of federal money meant for Bay Area security projects. Article by Herbert Sample, B. San Francisco Bureau, notes that the Bay Area Rapid Transit District, whose trains carry about 330,000 passengers each weekday in subways and on elevated tracks, is considered among the top terrorist targets in California. Yet the district received less than 1% of the $131 million the federal government has doled out since 2003 to three Bay Area cities to buy new emergency response equipment and improve security. We appear to have spent a very little money inspecting uh, containerized cargo coming into the United States. Greg Pallas told us in this, uh, on this show early this year, that, uh, of course, the, the ferry that goes to the casino uh, up where he lives has been designated as a potential target and receives a lot of money to, uh, to protect America from a terrorist threat in case al- al-Qaeda decides that, you know, a main, the main thrust of their attack on the U.S. ought to be on gamblers going to Indian casinos. We often note in this show that if you look at page A17, you'll find some of the most interesting articles, and indeed, on page A17 of Sunday's B. Had the following September 11th suspicions linger for many. Article noted that polls show many Americans distrust the government on the subject of September 11th. A Zogby poll on May 22nd found that 42% believed the government concealed evidence that contradicts official accounts. A poll taken by Scripps Howard Ohio University in August found that 36% of people believed that it was very or somewhat likely that federal officials allowed the attacks to occur because they wanted the United States to go to war in the Middle East. In fact, what really struck me is that people's uh, opinions across the nation may be changing was in the article on the Sunday Record. The Stockton Record, of course, uh, is a very conservative newspaper. You know, the Chronicle, we expect to be left of center. and The B, we think, is pretty much right down the middle. But the Stockton record, trust me, is very conservative. On page one on Sunday, they repeated Michael Powell's article in the Washington Post, noting that a startling number of Americans suspect the U.S. had some hand in terrorist attacks. The respondents to that poll thought the federal government either assisted in the attacks or allowed them to happen as a pretext to start a war in the Middle East. This is interesting. The same poll found that 16% of respondents thought the World Trade Center's Twin Towers were toppled by hidden explosives. 12% think the Pentagon was hit by a U.S. cruise missile. The Stockton Record published a photo of David Ray Griffin, author of The New Pearl Harbors: Disturbing Questions About the Bush Administration and 9-11. The Washington Post further quotes, another. Radio Parallax guest, Barbara Honiger, former Reagan aide. She's a senior military affairs journalist at the Navy Postgraduate School in uh, Monterey. And Barbara Honegger is convinced, based on her freelance research, that a bomb went off about six minutes before an airplane hit the Pentagon. Or didn't hit it, as some believe. Here at Radio Parallax, uh, we're not taking any official position on this. We certainly have aired uh, those people who have some doubts, and the doubters, we think, are worth hearing out. I would note by way of aside that this article also mentions a, uh, a researcher into what are called conspiracy theories surrounding 9-11 that uh, this correspondent is intimately familiar with. And I can tell you, without mentioning his name, that I know for a fact that anything this guy says is unreliable. There are some very interesting things taking place in this nation as we reevaluate uh, these various wars in Asia and our own domestic security. David Sanger and Eric Schmidt, writing the New York Times, note that Dick Cheney's uh, clout with Bush has slipped, whereas it once reigned supreme. But we were really stunned and encouraged in a way by the Sacramento Beef Forum section last Sunday article on the front page of the E section by Juan Cole someone we look forward to bringing to uh, on this program in the future Juan Cole talks among other things about how the war on terror has no end uh, we we've asked in this program before and we think it's worth asking again what the end point is supposed to be over in Iraq how will we know that we've achieved the goal that we've set out to achieve We contend in this program that there is no such goal. The government just doesn't want to admit it. Said Dr. Cole, the Bush administration has defined the struggle vaguely, precisely so that it can't end. President George W. Bush clearly enjoys the prerogatives of being a war president, so the administration has expanded the goals and targets of this war from one group or geographic area to another. We, of course, will continue to discuss all of this in the weeks and and months to come. But uh, the final thing I want to comment on was uh, the article by Gene Weingarten in the Washington Post that was reprinted widely. It did appear in the B Forum section, which I think is a telling thing to come out in an election year. The article asked readers to consider others who could be the worst president. Said Weingarten... Today's question is, is George W. Bush the worst president in American history? An examination of this issue requires that we first consider possible alternatives. Since we like to delve into history in this program, we we think we should actually take a look at three other contenders for the worst president in American history. And yes, we would agree, George W. Bush would certainly be in the top four. He does, however, have some stiff competition Franklin Pierce, America's 14th president, was elected because the southern slave states thought he was the one northerner they could trust. And he turned out to be just that. Involuntary servitude, he said, is recognized by the Constitution. Pierce said it stands like any other admitted right. had noted that uh, Franklin Pierce was high-spirited. Unfortunately, those spirits were mostly distilled alcohol. As a sitting president, Franklin Pierce was actually arrested after running over an old woman with his carriage, most likely while soused. Next on the list was Franklin Pierce's successor, James Buchanan. On the pro side, he thought slavery was wrong. On the con side, he was too weak-willed to actually oppose it. When uh, the southern Confederate states began to secede from the Union, James Buchanan thought he would just leave it for Abe Lincoln to clean up the mess. The final candidate would be Warren G. Harding. On the con side of Harding was the fact that he wasn't too bright. On the pro side was the fact that he knew he wasn't too bright. Harding, upon learning of his being nominated from the original smoke-filled room in the 1920 Republican convention, couldn't believe it, and asked his handlers if they were sure there was no one more qualified. I'm a man of limited talents, said Harding. We should uh, note for those who were so disappointed with President Bill Clinton that Warren Harding had furtive sex with his mistress in a closet near the Oval Office and fathered an illegitimate child while serving as the nation's chief executive. And while on the pro side he was not personally corrupt, on the con side, it is noted that nearly everyone he appointed was. His friends ex- exploited his dim-witted good nature, taking everything they could grab. Harding's own father once told him, Warren, it's a good thing you weren't born a girl, because you can't say no. At any rate, you, dear listener, along the rest of uh, what we would call posterity, will ultimately make the call on the presidency of George W. Bush. Radio Parallax would certainly uh, handicap this president as being the worst among the 42 individuals to hold the highest office in the land. But saying that, we would note that the opinions expressed on this program are those of the host alone and do not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the University of California. Let's take a short break. I'm Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax on KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento.